Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. After ousting Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker, the man tapped to replace him, Steve Scalise, has been forced to withdraw his candidacy as the House GOP caucus descends into even further chaos. This, as another shutdown looms, the war in Ukraine continues and a new war in the Middle East starts. In an attack that caught Israel completely off guard, more than 1,500 Hamas and Islamic Jihad terrorists breached Israel's Gaza border in a sophisticated attack fanning across southern Israel and using ISIS-style tactics, killing more than 1,500 Israelis, including Israeli Arabs, kidnapping about 150 and wounding thousands more in what is the bloodiest attack on the Jewish state since its founding. Among the hostages are Americans and other Westerners, a dozen of which Hamas claims have been killed in Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. Israel has sealed Gaza's borders, vowed to eradicate Hamas, and warned more than one million Palestinians to evacuate the northern part of the Strip before a multi-week ground offensive is expected to start. Neither Iran nor Russia appear to be directly involved in what happened in Israel. The Biden administration and other leading governments have pledged support for Israel as diplomats work to free hostages. Meanwhile, Russia's war on Ukraine continues, as does China's continuing provocations in the Pacific. Joining us today, as they do every week, to discuss all this and more are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia-Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, Michael Herson, the President of American Defense International, one of Washington's top defense and aerospace lobbying firms, former Pentagon Europe Chief Jim Townsend, now with the Center for a New American Security and, a, and the co-host of the Brussels Sprouts podcast, a must for anybody interested in the Transatlantic uh, Alliance, and former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dov Zakheim who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies among his many affiliations. Everybody, uh, welcome uh, to uh, the program. Uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, and uh, Dove, uh, our thoughts uh, and prayers uh, to uh, your family and friends in Israel who've been impacted by all this, and we'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, Michael, I want to yeah, get to the tragedy in the Middle East in a moment, but walk us through uh, a second week of just insanity uh, up on the Hill with the Republican caucus. They'd settled on the House number two, um, the, the respected Steve Scalise, uh, the Louisiana Republican as the next speaker. But then he was forced to withdraw because he got 113 votes. And Jim Jordan, uh, who's been in, endorsed by former uh, President uh, Trump, who got himself into a little bit of hot water again with his comments, although it's unclear whether it affects uh, his support at all, got 99 votes. We now have this chaos, fiscal uncertainty. Uh, Tommy Tuberville's holds, you know, I was just at AUSA and and it's it wasn't lost on people that, you know, some of the chaos, Bibi Netanyahu is, in, you know, accused of uh, fermenting that yielded bitter fruit. Uh, you know, we're getting ourselves into a similar distracted situation. What's going on up, up there? You know, is it going to be Kevin McCarthy again, who's thrown his hat back in the ring? Where are we? Where are we going? Uh, that's a great question because uh, no one knows where we're going. Uh, you know, we, we were supposed to spend the last two weeks uh, passing appropriations bills and doing everything we can to avoid a government shutdown. Instead, we've seen Republicans oust their speaker and been battling over who the next one's going to be. Uh, and they've met almost every day and still have no path forward. So as you mentioned, Steve Scalise uh, did win the election within the conference. 
Uh, it was closer than people thought, but he did win. He got 113 votes and Jim Jordan got 99. Um, and But we're in an era of election deniers and Jordan and his folks did everything they could to undercut Steve Scalise, even though he did win. Uh, ordinarily, in any other Congress, they would have gone to the floor and Scalise would have gotten the votes from the floor. But Jim Jordan worked behind the scenes to prevent Steve from getting enough votes uh, for them to, to take the vote to the floor. He actually even said to Scalise, first, he did not endorse him in the room after Scalise won. Uh, and then he said to Scalise, if you can't get to 217 on the floor, then I would expect you then to nominate me for speaker, which was, of course, was a trap because Jordan was going to do everything he could to prevent uh, Scalise from getting to, to, to 217. Uh, so, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, Trump was actually working against Scalise and was also, uh, people were using Scalise's health, uh, his cancer diagnosis uh, against him. So uh, yesterday, uh, Scalise did drop out uh, last night, uh, and you know people are uh, McCarthy is not in the ring, but people are trying to throw it in the ring. Uh, Congressman McClintock sent out a dear colleague uh, saying that we should condemn the motion to vacate and renominate uh, McCarthy. Uh, Jim Jordan started making calls last night. Uh, the conference is actually meeting right now as we tape. Uh, all cell phones are banned from the meeting, so I can't find out uh, what's going on in the meeting. Uh, we have. Don't think members. that's an accident. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> You're right. Uh, there are several members, including Mike Rogers, chairman of the Armed Services Committee, Don Bacon, who's on Armed Services, um, uh, Steve Womack, who's on Defense Appropriations, who have said it's time to reach out to the Dems, you know, and get them to get them to help. Um, uh, and Keen Jeffries has said that the Dems are ready to work uh, with, with, with Republicans. And I've gotten several texts from Democrats saying, hey, just just make us an offer. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, Republicans are also talking about expanding the powers of uh, the Speaker Pro Tem, uh, Patrick McHenry, who we talked about in previous episodes, who's now sitting temporarily in the chair. Uh, so uh, they may offer up McCarthy today, but definitely Jim Jordan is making his move uh, and it wants to force a vote today and wants to get to the floor quickly. Now, there's an attendance issue going on because some members have already left town. And the Democrats have said today that if the Republicans rush a vote, uh, to elect a speaker today or the next 24 hours, the Dems will then offer a motion to vacate next week and force a real vote uh, on the future of the House. So um, we are, well, we are not anywhere near past this chaos. And you mentioned how it could be used against us. I think you're you're, you're spot on. You know, I think I saw a tweet recently by a former um, a Trump national security official, you know, who was talking about how we should be supporting Israel in their hour of need, but we can't afford to be enmeshed in another Middle Eastern war as we race to deter China that is undertaking a historic military buildup and could attack soon. And we are not racing to deter China. You know, we cannot elect a Speaker of the House. Uh, we are on the verge of another shutdown in about 40 days. We're, pre we're going to end up passing a continuing resolution which prevents new starts and damages the military. We are cutting defense spending over the next two years and by threatening to withdraw support, withhold support for allies and freedom of democracy in places like Ukraine, we're sending all the wrong messages to China. So uh, I think your point is very well taken. Um, uh, very briefly, is I mean, is, is, I mean, it's obviously not going to be Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Jim Jordan is willing to burn everything down in order for him to win. Who becomes a consensus candidate? Is it Patrick McHenry? Um, look, I don't know. I think that that's part of the, I think there's like competing factions with different plans. I think, but you're right. I mean, look, a Jim Jordan speakership, as we mentioned before, is very bad for national security. Part of his campaign for speaker, he is telling members he wants a continuing resolution through the end of April. And that means that the automatic cut that was in the debt ceiling legislation would kick in and defense spending and everything would get a 1% across the board cut, which would mean a, a deeper than $30 billion cut in defense spending. So that is what he is actually campaigning on. That would mean there would be no NDAA. 
And I'm sure we would end up with another with a government shutdown on November 17th. So uh, there are several members who have come out against Jordan. I think Jordan's ability to get to 217 is be very difficult. Um, I do believe in the meeting that's happening right now that a new a new member or members are going to emerge. So we will know uh, in the next hour or two uh, where that stands. But I do not see this getting resolved anytime soon. Um, by the way, you said 40 days, way optimistic. It's it's actually down to, uh, I think, uh, 28, 30, 31, 32, something like that. Uh, oh, gosh. Even, even though I'm not I'm not good at maths. Right, uh, you're right. On, on the fly like this, because, you know, it's like it's, this, this show sometimes feels like it's Groundhog Week, uh, where we end up talking about the same thing. So I actually uh, b- b- barely know what day it is. Um, very uh, quickly, um, I want to get your sense on what uh, Congress is going to do to help uh, Israel. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the attacks, uh, they were still ongoing. Uh, the president uh, uh, vowed uh, to help Israel and arms shipments have already been landing in Israel, uh, including more Iron Dome weapons and the like. Uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, visited Israel uh, with a show of support uh, and indeed uh, is going to be doing a lot of shuttle diplomacy to work with our uh, allies and partners, worked with Qatar to uh, freeze uh, the uh, aid, uh, for example, the, the humanitarian aid that was going to go to Iran uh, in exchange for those hostages. Despite all of that, uh, and and interestingly, you know, Joe Biden has become very popular suddenly in in uh, Israel. GOP leaders have been blaming Biden for getting America into two new wars, you know, into the Ukraine war uh, and into an, a new Middle Middle East war. You you intimated that, which I think is just in, both are insane assertions. There's still overwhelming support for Israel. What are members of Congress willing to do to help Israel in its hour of need now? Uh, well, look, you're right. There's a lot to unpack there. We'll do it very quickly. I mean, I think, look, I, I've been disappointed with uh, some of the Republican response in criticizing the Biden administration for what happened over there. Uh, you know, this is the time to rally around the, the flag and support our allies and not you know, blame America first. Uh, and we've seen some of the presidential candidates, including Tim Scott, say that Biden's weakness you know, invited the attack. Uh, and his negotiation funded the attack, which he's referring to the six billion that was given uh, to Iran, which Iran has not gotten their hands on, uh, and saying that you know he's complicit. We've seen Nikki Haley make statements. Uh, Ronald McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, said it's a great opportunity for Republicans to talk about you know the campaigns and candidates. Uh, you know, and and of course you know we mentioned Donald Trump criticizing uh, Netanyahu and praising Hezbollah as, as smart. Uh, I will mention just as a quick side note, you know, Congressman Corey Mills, who was a member of the 82nd Airborne in Iraq, actually went over to Israel and has been credited with uh, helping get 32 Americans out of Israel. Um, and and you know, this, the Democrats have also had trouble maintaining their unity as well. I've been texting with several Democratic leaders on how to keep a lid on the squad uh, because many members of the Democrats on the far left have come out. You know, asking that uh, we end our uh, military assistance to Israel. Uh, both, you know, Cory Bush uh, came out <clears throat> saying that we should end our aid. Uh, Ilan Omar said unconditional military aid should be ended. Uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, said the cycle of violence will only end when the, when the funds are cut off. But as you point out, though, um, I think uh, Joe Biden and his administration, and of course, I think Democratic leaders across the board have stepped up very strong for Israel. I mean, Biden gave an incredibly strong speech, and his own White House shot back at the squad, saying that we believe they are wrong. Uh, and their comments about cutting off aid and asking for a ceasefire, they felt are repugnant. And we believe that their comments are disgraceful. And there are not two sides right. to this. And that's a really strong statement. And the speech that Biden gave, the draft that he was given was not that strong and was actually apparently very muddled. And Biden himself changed it. And every time they came in trying to water down the speech, he angrily shot it down. 
so I think you know I give the president a tremendous amount of credit uh, for his, his leadership here. Now there there's a talk now. I talked to the president of the Pentagon last night. They're actively working on aid packages. Um, and it looks like the administration is going to try and bundle it all together, a package for the Hill, for Ukraine, Taiwan, and the border, uh, and that this uh, supplemental proponent request will be released next week. That's going to be an uh, interesting push on the Hill because of the opposition to Ukraine aid. Now, House Chairman uh, of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Mike McCall, has come out in favor of this package, but right. uh, unfortunately, this whole decision is not up to him. Um, there's also been a lot of push on the Hill, for, especially on the Senate, to boost uh, security domestically. Uh, you know, for churches, mosques, uh, and synagogues. Right. Uh, and we also have people calling for more protection at our own border, trying to draw parallels to what happened in Israel, uh, you know, uh, to over here. Uh, and, you know, we also have folks trying to push legislation to freeze that $6 billion, uh, that was given to Iran that's now in, sitting in a Qatari bank. Uh, and I think the administration has, agrees to fr- has agreed to freeze that, but I think McConnell right. and Cotton are going to offer some legislation uh, next week. So, um, you know, look, Congress is, is actively uh, moving, but they, they cannot do anything until there is a, a Speaker of the House. And I, and I think it's also important to, to note here, too, uh, that we also we do not have a confirmed ambassador to Israel. We do not have a confirmed ambassador to Egypt, Lebanon, Oman, or Kuwait. We do not have a, 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 a chief of naval operations where we have a carrier group uh, in, in the Eastern Med. Uh, and the nominee to command the Fifth Fleet is also blocked. Uh, there's no confirmed uh, top USAID if, uh, official in the Middle East. Uh, and the State Department coordinator for counterterrorism has been vacant uh, for two years. So Congress has uh, we have a lot of work to do on our side, too. And uh, just uh, in uh, five seconds, what's the value of this aid package? What's what's the number that you're hearing? I have not heard any numbers, but I would expect it since it's going to be including uh, Ukraine and Taiwan and border. I expect this number to be incredibly large. Incredibly large, like more than 10 billion. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes, much bigger okay. than that. I certainly hope so. Uh, a quick word from our sponsors. Bell sponsors our daily coverage. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. Dove, uh, welcome back uh, and hope you are uh, feeling better. Uh, our hearts uh, go out to all those uh, who are uh, brutally uh, butchered. Uh, in Israel and to all of those innocents who are caught uh, in the, the middle of this uh, as uh, Israel uh, legitimately drives to hold Hamas accountable. Uh, on this program for months, uh, years, I would argue, you've been saying the Netanyahu government's policies are dangerously di- dividing the nation, distracting its attention, and is going to precipitate some kind of backlash. And you said, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's not going to be good. And unfortunately, We've now seen that. You wrote a powerful piece in The Messenger making the case why Bibi uh, must go. I was in Gaza uh, shortly after uh, the Sharon government withdrew settlers and handed the territory over to the Palestinians, and it blocked aid to the Palestinian Authority, knowing that Hamas was going to take over. But the cynical calculation at the time was, well, uh, you know, this just shows that, you know, you 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 can't make a deal with them. Uh, and and why, you know, we, we can't give up uh, the West Bank. Um, here we now are, you know, and the border has been closed for, what, 18, 16 years uh, where the territory has been blockaded. Um, we're now seeing a ground offensive that's going to start shortly. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a, it's it's, you know, Israel's worst day, uh, but it's a tragedy and it's it's not going to be over anytime soon. What? are the next things that have to happen in your mind to get this resolved in some manner 
because mowing the grass, which has been the strategy, is no longer the strategy, right? Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. It clearly hasn't worked. Um, let's start with what you began with, which is Israeli policies. One of the biggest problems even now is what's exactly in Netanyahu's mind? Um, is he doing things in order to remain in power or is he doing things to really defeat Hamas? And the reason I say that is because there's a degree of inconsistency here between starving off all of the Gaza people and telling them that they should bail out of northern Gaza. Uh, if you want to get them to bail out of northern Gaza, and Hamas has said don't go for obvious reasons because they hide behind innocent people, right. open up the electricity and the food and everything else in southern Gaza. That gives them a, a, an opportunity to save their lives and have food in their bellies and protect their families. And then you can go and say, look, we're really looking after the innocent. I mean, the people like Corey Bush and that whole crowd who's, who compare the two levels of deaths and, oh, there are 1,200 here and 1,500 there, there is a difference. There's a difference between going and chopping off babies' heads on the one hand and, you know, doing your best not to kill civilians uh, and they get killed because that's what happens in war. So this is total hypocrisy. But it again, I just don't know what's in Netanyahu's head. He put together a unity government, finally, with three generals in his war cabinet. Again, I think it was to guarantee that people would say, OK, fine, let's leave Bibi alone for now. And then I guess he figures he'll cross the next bridge when he comes to it. But then again, who's the fifth person in that group? It's no it's none other than Ron Dermer, who is a former political hack in this country and is essentially a political hack in Israel. And what the hell does he know? to compare to the other three chiefs of staff that are on the group. So there's, you know, it's very hard to predict exactly where the Israelis are going to go. Clearly, number one is to get the hostages out. If they can do that with the $6 billion, that's fine. Uh, it's a very high price, but life has no price. And so that, that would be great. Number two is they've got to decapitate Hamas. And decapitating Hamas means they've got to allow some alternative to Hamas to take over Gaza. It's not going to be Egypt. It might be the PLO, the, the, the Palestinian Authority. Um, but then again, the Palestinian Authority is pretty corrupt. So it has to be somebody else. Um, they cannot simply stay in Gaza. It's not going to work. It won't work any better than it worked in Lebanon. Um, and so uh, it, it, there's a huge question mark here. But and the Israelis have given no indication uh, you know, the, the, the great phrase that uh, Dave Petraeus used, tell me how this ends. There's but, no so, answer in tell me how this ends. Uh, uh, so so that, what does that look OK? But what does that uh, look like and what Palestinian leader steps up? Because, you know, even though the PA leadership is corrupt, right, they're at least cooperating and may have maintained security cooperation with Israel, even throughout this period, even with settler provocations. Uh, against uh, Palestinians. Unfortunately, you know, too much of the Israel army was tied up in the West Bank. Yes. They were, were, so folks were not responding. You know, when people were calling for 20 plus hours and General uh, Tziv was running around, I mean, honestly, he, sh he should get the highest decoration from Israel uh, for his actions as a retired general officer to marshal a response. Ultimately, 
you know, there's a sense that, you know, when you when you talk to people in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv, they tell you, well, we've got to sort of start building up the Palestinian Authority somehow, because once we get rid of Hamas, we're going to have to install them. Okay, the Palestinian leadership in the West Bank is not that happy with Israel because of housing units that are being built and the notion that a two state solution is something the Netanyahu government doesn't want. Ultimately, who do they pick? You're absolutely right. And and again, this is why I say we just don't know what Netanyahu really wants other than to bail up to make sure he's not in jail. You're absolutely right. They focus so much on protecting crazy settlers who are ma- who are creating illegal outposts, illegal, according to the Israeli Supreme Court. So what does Bibi do instead of defending the law? He tries to undermine the court. Um, and so they took their eye off the ball in Gaza. Uh, if you look at the what if you've been to the West Bank, you've seen that the wall there is a real wall in the, in the Gaza case. On the other hand, it's part wall and part fence. And that's how a bulldozer could go right through. And oh, by the way, I cannot understand how they could have ground stations so close to Gaza. When we do our drone operations without getting into too many details, we can operate those drones in the Middle East from somewhere in the United States. Why the hell were they putting ground operate ground uh, 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 the the ground uh, control centers so close to Gaza when they could have put them say in the south in the Negev? So all of this indicates that Netanyahu's focus was on preserving that government of right wingers, and clearly one thing that's come out very well so far is that as part of the deal. There is no new legislation that's going to be passed, which means that the Supreme Court law may never go anywhere. But that's not enough. If they want to get Palestinian Authority support, you know, naming somebody, and there are people that you can name. They have some very competent people that they could put in uh, into the West Bank, what you've uh, into Gaza, rather. What you've got to do is stop the settlements, stop the infrastructure supporting these settlements. And give these people a a, a viable hope. Once you've done that, you've already undermined Hamas in a way that they haven't tried for years. Um, I would commend to the audience. It was a great piece by Nir uh, Avishai uh, Cohen today in The New York Times that, you know, he's been mobilized from Austin, Texas and going back to Israel to do his duty. Uh, And but he still says the Palestinians aren't the enemy Hamas is and we need to figure out something broader here. Um, to to work, even though that even though something like this does make that in in some respects harder. Um, I want to just hit another uh, couple of points and then and then go to Jim and and Patrick and bring them into the discussion as well. Israel uh, Dove exchanged sixteen hundred prisoners to get back uh, one soldier, Gilad Shavit, uh, who had been in captivity for for more than five years. Um, does you know and Antony Blinken is doing going to be doing a lot of shuttle diplomacy in order to try to engage uh, Egypt and Turkey and UAE and Qatar uh, and even the Saudis uh, as well as Jordanians into this to try to negotiate something uh, a negotiated release because obviously Americans and other Westerners are captive there uh, as well. Do you think that that serves as an avenue to open maybe a a, a new chapter a new peaceful dialogue and or, or does israel give up all four thousand prisoners it has we give them six billion dollars and it's a cash and carry thing well I, I don't think they can do what they did with shalit anymore i think they realize that you know hamas is hamas isn't just interested 
in destroying Israel. I mean, Hamas's constitution is to kill guys like me, okay, who happen to be Jewish, uh, or Michael, who happens to be Jewish. We're all their targets. And in fact, they announced that today, Friday today, should be a day of danger for Jews everywhere. So they've got, you know, there has to be a different approach here. Maybe the answer is work out some deal. We've got to get our Americans out. We've got to get the other hostages out and then go and and, and, and continue to smash them at the same time. There, there's no way that Israel will ever have peace with Hamas because Hamas doesn't want that. And not only that, Iran doesn't want Hamas to want that, which is why, by the way, I've argued that Hezbollah will not attack Israel one reason being, and a, a good friend of mine who's an expert in, in uh, on Syria made it very clear, Hamas's, uh, rather Hezbollah's missiles are there to deter Israel from attacking Iran, not to help out Hamas. Right. And so for that reason, a deal that gets hostages out while you're still pummeling Hamas, you, they can't deal with Hamas anymore. I mean, it's just clear. How, how can you deal with it? You know, it's like, it's this is a this is a group of people that doesn't mind raping women in front of their children and then killing the women and the children. There's just no way it's going to work. But getting hostages out, whatever it takes, and then going after Hamas. You know, the, the degree and the unspeakable nature of the atrocities is is something that is just um, uh, uh, bracing and the adoption of uh, ISIS like. Uh, tactics. Let me let me take you uh, to uh, two uh, uh, more uh, questions for you, Dove. How soon before international pressure mounts on Israel to uh, stop uh, the uh, assault? Obviously, uh, Gaza is under siege. The power, water, food—you know—as you mentioned, have all been cut off. Uh, Israel has given, uh, you know, UN uh, folks uh, have been killed. Uh, other aid workers uh, have been killed. It has been an intensive bombing campaign in preparation for ground assault. Ehud Barak was on BBC yesterday and saying, look, this is going to be probably a five, six week long operation. His question was, then what? Uh, you know, and some folks are asking questions about whether Israeli intelligence is even good enough to know what it's trying to do uh, now, given uh, the, the focus that's really been on the West Bank as opposed to Gaza. Uh, from, from your perspective, is Israel going to get the international running room? Because even the uh, Antony Blinken s sort of pointed out to uh, 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 Bibi Netanyahu, we understand it's important for you to respond. It's important for you to crush Hamas, but it's also important uh, to show humanity, right? Obviously, a message for all the innocent people that are trapped in Gaza and have no choice about this either way. Well, I, I think the pressure has already started. Uh, you've heard that from the U.N., uh, there's some movement even in the State Department, as you mentioned, uh, if you look, as you pointed out, Biden is actually much tougher in support of Israel than other people who are feeding him his lines and he's just ignoring them. I think Biden's going to give Israel running room, uh, which means vetoes in the Security Council, for example. Uh, but the pressure is going to mount. The difference this time is I don't think Israel's going to pay attention to the pressure. I just don't think so. Um, they know what they want to do. Now, as I said, one way to deal with the pressure is to allow them, the, the Palestinians, at least in the South, to have water, electricity, food. That way they can say, look, we're creating a, a viable humanitarian alternative. Um, but, but the pressure will continue to increase. Right now, we, you've seen there was a, a joint statement by Britain, France, Germany, Italy, and the United States 
the leaders saying they support Israel 100%. There's a British uh, uh, flotilla that's moving out to the Eastern Mediterranean because Rishi Sunak supports Israel 100%. So already you're seeing it's not the usual after two, three days, Israel's going to be forced to back off. They're not going to back off, and they do have some support, but there will be pressure, especially in the U.N., I, I want to uh, take you to one last question. Since its founding, Israel has carefully cultivated the image uh, as well as the reality of being a first-class warrior state, superbly trained, superbly equipped, uh, and time and again distinguished itself for its ability to generate and capitalize on unmatched intelligence and, and actually conduct, um, you know, I mean, some of history's most ambitious military operations. Um, in this particular case, um, you know, despite warnings and Egypt, warning and Hamas posting on social media what it is they were going to do, uh, you know, Israel was still caught flat-footed. The response was flat-footed. The troops weren't in the right place. Uh, they used unmanned systems to take out the unmanned turrets, right? A lot of that border defense is, 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 is guarded by unmanned weapon systems. There was jamming apparently involved, paragliders, um, you know, and, and a concern some people have that the Israelis may have known about it, but let it through for other political reasons, right? In the triangular negotiations, look how bad Hamas is. They're very dangerous, you know, obviously not knowing it might have been uh, this bad. Um, how badly has this damaged Israel's reputation for military prowess that is actually core to its deterrent capability? Well, the damage, I think, is is short term. And a lot of depends on whether Netanyahu stays there, frankly, uh, because so much of what you just laid out is due to Netanyahu's own personal calculations. Um, there's no question that right now the uh, Israeli deterrent uh, is not what it was. However, and this is very important to remember, it's still a very powerful military. Now, as for their intelligence failures, it's not the first one. Look what happened in 73. And I remember during the Reagan years when there was the big Lebanon crisis, Rich Armitage, for whom I have endless admiration, came back from Israel telling me those guys aren't trained well enough. This is so it's not the first time that they've dropped the ball on training. And it seems to me that what has to happen immediately once this operation ends is that they put money into the defense budget not cut it, which, by the way, some people want to do even over there, at, especially for training and operations. And that's also a lesson for us, by the way. Uh, in, in, indeed it is. Michael's been talking about what, what guys like Jordan want to do. And if we go the way Jordan goes, then we might find ourselves with a problem not all that different from what Israel's facing today. Uh, indeed. Uh, I'm going to get to you, uh, Jim and Patrick. You guys have been exceptionally uh, patient, and I'll be with you in just a second. A quick reminder to our audience to check out our weekly podcasts, Cavus Ships, hosted by our very own Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello, and sponsored by HII, who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters. The downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space, and our Air Power podcast, sponsored by GE Aerospace. Uh, that I co-host with our very own J.J. Gertler. And a very special congratulations uh, to Chris and Chris of Cavus Ships, as well as Laura of the Downlink, uh, for winning uh, the best in their categories at the annual Defense Media Awards. Uh, you make us proud every single day, every single week with your guys' terrific programming. And we are very, very proud of you uh, for getting uh, justified recognition for your terrific work.
Jim, uh, thanks very much uh, for your patience. Uh, well, as all of this is going on, the war in Ukraine is going on as well. Vladimir Zelensky visited NATO for the first time since the war started uh, as a leader making an appeal for more aid, getting more aid uh, as, uh, you know, the, the war uh, obviously continues, right? I mean, we spent the last 18 months focused on that, and now we have a something that's going to distract uh, attention. Uh, Israel had shipped uh, some U.S. stockpile uh, to Ukraine. Now the United States is raising uh, to help Israel uh, with, with some of its stocks. I've got two questions for you. Uh, I'm going to get to where we are on the war uh, in a moment. But there is a sense by some European observers uh, that the nature of the demonstration by Arab Europeans, uh, you know, cheering Hamas on uh, is something that is going to backfire very, very badly. Uh, that uh, this is only going to empower right-wing movements that have been gaining ground under our very eyes. We're seeing the right gaining ground all over the place. And, you know, is that, uh, and, and we saw France and Germany, uh, right, ban uh, pro-Hamas demonstrations. Uh, the UK has said they don't want the Palestinian flag flown. These are democracies that are taking extraordinary steps, which they feel would be too inflammatory. Where does this put us in the internal European political dynamic? Uh, because um, I, I could see all of this backfiring on Arab Europeans very badly and actually propelling right-wingers, the likes of which we probably haven't seen in a long time. Well, How, however, however legitimate their right to protest is, even if you don't like their message. Right. And, and I would say it's certainly going to, it's certainly stirring the pot. And I think we will see the impact as the days go on and see how Israel uh, deals with Gaza. Uh, are they gonna try to um, ensure they don't inflame the situation worse overseas or do they not care about that? And, uh, and we'll see some, uh, some bad images in, in the coming days and weeks uh, of the fighting in Gaza. That will certainly turn up the heat um, uh, on, in, on the European political system. I mean, the, you know, in Europe already, uh, there, we are seeing in a lot of countries the increasing strength of the uh, of far right parties uh, elections as well. We saw that in Slovakia. Uh, this is something that um, that is already out there. And so this just fuels it. I'll give you a little story. Uh, I was uh, I took a taxi at, um, in London uh, to go to Paddington Station to take the Heathrow Express uh, to come back to the States. And the uh, the uh, London cab driver, as they do, uh, was telling me all about the problems in the world. And he said he said that how upset he was about the demonstrations in London by pro-Palestinian people. And not because it was an Israeli-Palestinian thing. It was get out of my country. Don't bring your problems here. So it was it had a, a different balance than you would think. It's playing into feelings. Uh, certainly with this London cab driver uh, about immigration and that we're bringing in these people from the Middle East and they bring their troubles with them and we have to bear under it. So that's the kind of thing that really does inflame uh, a lot large parts of, of Europe, uh, Germany included. So we're going to have to see if this going to be uh, something that, that worsens depending on what happens in Gaza or if it was a bit of a, a blip and it, it subsides. But make no mistake, um, as in the United States, there's there's anti-Semitism in, in Europe, too, as we know. Uh, and so there's already a group of people who feed on this and you throw in right wing politics, polarization, social media. And this could have a 
big negative impact uh, if things really begin to look uh, dark there in Gaza. Um, I have to say that it's been uh, very impressive, the unequivocal support uh, European uh, governments have given and the image of the Brandenburg Gate uh, you know, lit uh, with the Israeli flag was a very powerful symbol uh, coming from uh, Germany uh, that, um, you know, to to atone for what happened during World War II has given uh, an enormous amount of assistance to uh, the Jewish state. But let, let me ask that, you about... But, but Bob, say that you're right. I mean, uh, if this, I think it was the Eiffel Tower was that way as well. But this is the European elites. And that that cab driver was storming around about right. uh, the elites in in England, uh, you know, in the UK, elites in uh, in Europe, and uh, they've got it wrong, and they're ruining our society. So uh, I I agree with you. I think they were wonderful symbols, and I think it gave heart certainly to uh, Israelis, uh, to the Jewish people, to all of us. But at the same time, don't think that that's the way the whole country feels. Uh, indeed. Uh, let me uh, ask you uh, one more uh, question because we are a little bit tight for time and I uh, appreciate everybody's understanding. And Patrick, I'll be with you in, in, in just a moment. You know, the war continues to go on. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky needs more help. We now have another war. It is uh, consuming resources. The United States is trying to help Israel. Uh, I'm not sure if our war production is up to where it needs to be uh, at this point, given that we are really drawing from stocks globally in order to be able to help the Ukrainians. Give us an update on where we stand on the war and whether you have a concern whether this new war is is going to tax resources and make life increasingly hard for Ukraine uh, and, and, and an important time. Or does winter swoop in and kind of save the day and buy us a little bit of a reprieve? Well, you know, I, I, it's a great question. Uh, the, Ukraine has said that when the winter comes, they're not going to stop. They're going to fight during the winter as well. Uh, and if anyone knows how to do that, certainly it's Ukraine. Uh, but uh, how successful that ambition will be, we don't know. Uh, and so maybe that does uh, lessen the need for supplies uh, from the U.S. and from the West that can be diverted to Israel. But I think for sure it's going to it's going to be a big stress test in terms of assistance for Ukraine, assistance for Israel, as well as Taiwan. Uh, and so. I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned is the um, is the uh, military industrial complex uh, up to up to producing what's needed. And the answer is not yet, uh, not yet by a long shot. So there will be stress uh, right now. The fighting in Ukraine is still at the pick and shovel stage at the attrition stage, trying to uh, get out of the obstacles set up in the south. There have been some progress, but uh, it's it's not progress that's going to lead anytime soon to some big maneuver warfare. But as Gaza, the fighting in, intensifies in Gaza, uh, that's going to turn up the requirement for additional resources. Uh, and I think they're going to have to reach out to others besides the United States for that, if others even have it themselves. So uh, I think those who do logistics are going to have long nights in the coming weeks as, try, as they try to figure out um, you know, how to deal with this zero-sum game of, uh, of assistance. Uh, indeed. Uh, thank you, Jim. Patrick, you've been exceptionally uh, patient uh, in all of this. China watches all of these global developments with extreme interest. What are they seeing when they see what's going on in Israel right now? What are the lessons they're drawing? Is this a distraction under which uh, they can cause some mischief? This is an opportunity to advance a new world order. Uh, that's what China's looking at. Uh, sure, they're protecting old friends here in terms of Hamas and the Palestinians in general, 
um, by not condemning Hamas, they're supporting Hamas. And one of the top Israeli China experts this past week said, look, um, China, what a double standard. You like to talk about double standards. You, you nearly had genocidal killing in Xinjiang for much more minor terror incidents than what the Israelis just had to uh, sort of inflicted on them. Um, so despite that, though, unsentimentally, the Chinese will be pursuing opportunities to maneuver with other powers, including Arab states, to see whether they can further supplant U.S. influence in the Middle East and something that they've been working on for a long time. And I think that's the main strategic play here for China and what they may be doing in the weeks ahead, unfortunately. We, we may all agree on the justification for absolutely crushing the Hamas military network and, and terror network. But as that doesn't play internationally or in the region well, um, and to the extent it doesn't, China will be looking to pick up those pieces and win those votes in the global south. Remember, in the BRICS meeting, uh, China's been adding Saudi Arabia and Iran and trying to find um, a different constellation of powers that will lead the rest of the 21st century different from the one that's been leading the international order since the end of World War II. I want to take you to give us kind of a uh, in the next about minute and a half a quick roundup of what's going on regionally that we should be paying attention to because every time right the Ukraine war starts everybody flows and pays attention to the Ukraine war uh, Hamas attacks Israel Israel counterattacks all you know it takes up all the air from the room what are things that folks in Washington need to bear in mind about what's going on on the other side of the planet that's important sure well Taiwan is fixated on the potential for a catastrophic intelligence failure what Israel seemed to experience, uh, you know, is something they don't want to see replicated over the Taiwan Strait. North Korea, meanwhile, is looking for opportunities to disrupt. So they're already committed to a third satellite launch. The previous two have failed. Um, and we've got um, Foreign Minister Lavrov coming, uh, and they've got Putin uh, on deck to, to come and visit Pyongyang sometime in the, in the coming weeks or months. Um, and North Korea would love to seize the opportunity of chaos in the Middle East to disrupt and get attention in Northeast Asia, because they'll think that they can ride under the skirt again of Beijing and, and Moscow, and they're probably right. That could be that could be the long-awaited seventh nuclear test, for instance. And the fact that we have the Ronald Reagan carrier in Busan in the southern port of uh, South Korea suggests that our forces are certainly bracing for potential provocation. Um, it's also you know not the only flashpoint, and the South China Sea has been. Uh, key area of concern from the Indo-Pacific uh, Command this past week in particular, partly because the assertive transparency, as it's been called, that the Philippines is practicing by highlighting what the Chinese are up to in terms of floating barriers across Scarborough Shoal and blocking the resupply at the Second Thomas uh, Shoal, uh, all both within the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines, they're afraid that China's going to escalate here. And China's been uh, rattling the saber, uh, throwing out threats, maybe it's just rhetoric, that the Philippines is going to be sunk if they keep doing this. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. Um, other things to follow, of course, are longer term issues like the nuclear issues that come out of, say, the Strategic Posture Commission's report, the final report that was issued this week, which talks about a two nuclear peer world of course, we all know that's really here now, and the Chinese are advancing it even further in the in the next decade or two. And they're arguing we have to be in a stronger position if we're going to maintain deterrence uh, in that world. That has implications for both our allies like South Korea that are wondering about the future of extended deterrence, but also for how we uh, calculate China's moves 
uh, an aggression potentially throughout the Indo-Pacific. So all of these are moving. And finally, I mentioned you know China, which is still, of course, worried about economic stagnation, is advancing their technology front, talking about new advances in quantum computing and in AI this past week that are pretty earth shattering if you look at the details. Um, and we're trying to refine our export controls on high-end chips. And meanwhile, China's demographic news gets the best headline of all, which is last year was the was the least number of uh, you know was the lowest birth rate in right. PRC history. So never before have there been you know under 10 million births in a single year of the People's Republic of China, and uh, that's a trend that's going to continue. Uh, thanks very much uh, uh, for that. It's certainly going to be interesting to see uh, the connections among. Uh, China, Russia, uh, North Korea, and Iran in the wake uh, of what's happening in the Middle East. And at first, every you know, there was this sense that they were all in cahoots. That doesn't appear to be the case, but it'll certainly be interesting to track uh, how they each help each other because it is unfortunately uh, an axis, if not uh, directly of evil, evil of of disruption with particularly evil characteristics. Everybody, thanks so very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, again, uh, keeping everybody. Uh, in our thoughts, uh, who's affected by this horrible, horrible uh, tragedy. Um, I just want to uh, thank all of you. I want to thank the audience for joining us. And a very special thanks to Bell for their generous sponsorship that makes this program possible. Uh, tune in again on Sunday for the Business Roundtable. Until then, have a great weekend uh, and a great day, and we'll see you then.